0: What a difference a Barnabas can make. Uh, who's taken interest in you? Yesterday I uh, got to enjoy, did you notice the breeze was blowing yesterday afternoon? And you could like be under, I was under like the, the oak tree in my backyard on the Chase Lounge. Thinking about who took interest in me and it was like cool. I thought, wow, something's changing, it's so great. But I began to think back and I went back to age 12. And Mr. Mays was a rancher that lived on my block in Amarillo. And I got to go out to Mr. Mays's ranch. And I did that, like, for a couple of years. Every weekend and all summer long, Mr. Mays took interest in me and took me to his ranch. And as I think back about what, how, that made a huge difference in my life. Um... And I, it's just comical. You know, on the panhandle, you've got you to squeeze gates to open them. And so Mr. Mays taught me how to open a bobwire wire gate. He taught me how to drive a pickup. He taught me how to shoot a rifle. He taught me how to ride a horse. He uh, taught me how to uh, break ice on the tanks during the winter. I just, think, I just chuckle when I think, Hey, Scott, uh, would you like to get out of the warm pickup and break the ice? Yes, sir, Mr. Mays, I'll do that. <laughs> I mean, that's the best thing in the world for him. And, you know, would you like to sit on the tailgate? You know, it's zero degrees, and the wind is howling across the... You know, but you want to sit and, you know, feed the cake out. Oh, yes, sir, Mr. Mace. I'll be glad to do that. It must have been so far. Man, I finally found somebody that could help me. <laughs> and, and, and then he just had this... He was also this interesting man where he'd, he'd come up with these ideas. Like, we do roundup. I mean, I got to be on, on the roundup, you know. So he'd always park me at the front where you dehorn, and the blood spurts all over you, and the smoke from the branding gets in your face, and you're just like... You know, we'd always miss, you know, one of the things you do at Roundup is you castrate. And so we, I don't know, Mr. Mays would always miss one or two. So then what do we do? We have to rope this, this poor little bull out in the pasture. And Mr. Mays says, well, just hold his leg. I'm going, good gracious. <laughs> this is wild and this is grisly. But it was so great. Then the funniest tale, he got a new horse that was unbroken. He said, you know, Scott, I think we could break this horse. I said, okay. Okay, Mr. Mace, I trust you. So I'm gonna put a short lead on this horse, and you're gonna be on my my, the back of my horse and we're gonna kind of go out into the tank, out into the water, and then you're gonna jump over into the saddle, and that that horse won't he won't be able to buck much because he's in the water. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I didn't know so I jump over, and that—that that, you know what—that a that horse can buck in the water, <laughs> and he could use that short lead all, all, all the way around, you know, all the way back, and with his poor little soul holding on for all he's worth, I didn't fall off into the water. I got off as quickly as I could when I could, but it was an amazing adventure. He was somebody that took interest in me, and then my football coach, my first football coach, Coach Rankin. He ended up taking me to my first exposure to the gospel. It was a Billy Graham film about the end of the world, and I was scared to death from that moment on. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Ritchie, he kept me in scouts. Well, you know, it, it wasn't the cool thing in high school in sports to stay in scouts, but he kept me in scouts. I became an Eagle Scout. It was, made a huge difference in my life. Tom and Linda Wilson, a young wife. Uh, Tom was a middle school football coach and started doing Young Life. And, and I ended up in the living room of Tom, Tom and Linda's house. And that was really when I first met Jesus, is because they took an interest in me. And they told me the story of Jesus. And then there's Kerm and Lou Ethel. Those are not Muppets, but that's really this, <laughs> this older couple. That, uh, I, you know, years later, I found out that Lou Ethel just said, Jesus, would you give me a small group of high school boys? and I was one of those I was an answer to that prayer one of those guys that went over to their house and then Bill and Shirley Irwin that were my best friend's parents I still, Shirley and I have this, this love relationship that continues today that there's still this big difference in my life and then Bob and Linda uh, Attaway took an interest in us and you saw Bob uh, a few weeks ago so these are the people that took interest in me and they made a huge difference in my life what about you? Anybody taking an interest in you? Just think back. You know, I started at 12. You might go earlier in that. Just come through middle school, high school, college, young adult, having kids to now. Who's interested in you? What difference does it make? Well, I know that for Saul, Ananias and Barnabas took an interest in him, and it made all the difference in the world for him. Saul... A man bent on destruction, a man so self-righteous and so, so, so sure that Jesus was wrong, finds out that Jesus is right. And he's blind, and his world has been turned upside down, and Jesus sends Ananias to him to touch him, to pray that his sight would be restored, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he'd be baptized in the name of Jesus and that he would become the spokesman of Jesus to the Gentile world. And Ananias took interest in Saul. It made all the difference in the world. And after Saul gets out of trouble in Damascus, people want to kill him, he goes to Jerusalem, and then this guy Barnabas shows up. It made all the difference in the world that Barnabas had an interest in Saul. And that's what we will read about today in Acts 9 Verse 26 to 31. Back in Jerusalem, our story, if if you remember, we, we start in Jerusalem. All the activity of the beginning of the church, Jews following Jesus, is all in Jerusalem. And it lasts that way until the stoning of Stephen and there's persecution. So then the church is scattered, scattered into Judea, Samaria, and then as far as Damascus. And that's where Saul meets Jesus. And now we're going to come back to Jerusalem, and I'm going to explain a little bit. Luke really wants us to understand something about that that's going on in the story. So back in Jerusalem, Saul comes back, and he tries to join the disciples. The disciples, again, they'd all be Jews who are now following Jesus. And he wants to come back and be part of the fellowship of, of the church. But they were all afraid of him. Literally, they did not believe that he believed. They didn't believe that he could have come to faith in Jesus. They didn't trust him one bit. So Barnabas took interest in him. Barnabas took him under his wing. Barnabas introduced him to the apostles. Barnabas stood up for him. Barnabas told them how Saul had seen and spoken to the master Jesus on the Damascus Road. And how in Damascus itself, Saul had laid his life on the line with his bold preaching in Jesus' name. So after Barnabas took interest in Saul, he was accepted as one of them, going in and out of Jerusalem with no questions asked, uninhibited in his preaching of the master's name. And then he ran afoul of another group called the Hellenists. He'd been engaged in a running argument with them who plotted his murder. When his friends learned of the plot, they took him out of town, took him to Caesarea, and they shipped him off to Tarsus. Tarsus is in southern Turkey. It is Saul's hometown. Things calmed down after that, and the church had smooth sailing for a while. All over the country, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, the church grew. They were permeated with a deep sense of reverence for God, And the Holy Spirit was with them, strengthening them, and they prospered wonderfully. There's a cycle in in Acts, and we're kind of coming to um, a returning of of where we were. If If you think through the book for a moment, we start in Jerusalem, and you start with this dramatic increase of people believing in Jesus. And all those initial people that are believing in Jesus... They're they're Jews, and they change their mind about who Jesus is. Oh, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. They also change their mind about the kingdom announcement. Oh, the kingdom is here and coming in Jesus because he's the king, the Messiah. So that's where all the action is. If you go through Acts 2, you go to 4, to 5, up to 6, you have this increase, increase, like thousands of people are coming to faith. They're changing their mind about Jesus, and they're following Jesus. And with that dramatic increase, there's this ratcheting up of the threat that that was to the religious establishment in Jerusalem. So persecution breaks out. It starts with um, the stoning of Stephen. And after that, there's this outbreak of persecution. So the church is scattered. So those thousands of Jews living in Jerusalem following Jesus, are now scattered out to Judea, Samaria, as far as Syria. And then we have Saul. And see, Saul fits into this cycle because at that persecution, he's right there witnessing the stoning of, of Stephen. He's in agreement with it. And then he begins to enter into that persecution. And he's on the road to Damascus when Jesus stops him. And it's at that point that you have this transformation of Saul in Syria and now he's coming back to Jerusalem. He's coming back a changed person. He's coming back not to persecute those following Jesus. He's coming back to convince those not following Jesus to follow Jesus. So you have this whole changing of this cycle. And as he comes back to Jerusalem, it's Barnabas that takes an interest in him. And when he took an interest in him, look at all the things that begin to happen. They're, they're, the fear and the suspicion of those that are following Jesus in Jerusalem and who have suffered persecution, who feared Saul, who had warrants to arrest people, they, they had legitimate fears and suspicions. But because Barnabas took interest in him, they overcame those fears and suspicions. It was Barnabas that took Saul to the apostles and said, Here, This is Saul, and like you, he has seen and talked to the resurrected Lord. That was not a common experience. I mean, that was a really special experience. And we're going to find out later that Saul actually is an apostle largely because of that experience. Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection spoke to him, and commissioned him to be a chosen instrument for the, for the announcing of the kingdom. So it's, it's Barnabas that takes him and ad, he's the advocate uh, of Saul before the apostles. And then Saul then is given the opportunity for someone else to tell a story. Barnabas says, yeah, I've heard about what's been happening in Damascus. Saul is, I mean, he's put himself <laughs> under the threat of death by... He's telling people he's changed his mind. He's got a new story. He's he's announcing the kingdom and the Messiah. And he's inviting people to believe. And so the result of that, because Barnabas took interest in Saul, the result is Saul is accepted. People believe. Wow! God really can change others God really can change somebody that's persecuting the church into somebody that now believes, trusts Jesus, and announces who Jesus is. So he has this freedom now to come in and out of Jerusalem and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Then the other thing that Barnabas does by coming alongside is I think he helps protect Saul's life because he, he gets in trouble with another group, the Hellenists. Now, Hellenists just quickly... It's really the clash of two world views. You've got Greek thinking and you've got Semitic thinking. Someone asked earlier, well, what's the difference between Saul and Paul? Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. That's the only difference. Now, what, the interesting thing in this is right now, when we're with Saul, he's coming back to Jerusalem, he is totally steeped in Semitic thinking. And his worldview is, to- is totally Near Eastern. But he's going to be the chief apostle to the Hellenistic world. See, something's going to happen to him that's not only going to change his name from Saul to Paul, but he's going he's to begin to understand the world that Jesus is sending to him. But he doesn't understand that world right now. You see, there really is a difference. The distinction between... The Greek world and the Hebrew world, the Hellenistic world and the Semitic world, arises from the difference between doing and knowing. The Hebrew, that would be Saul, is concerned with practice, the Greek with knowledge. Right conduct is the ultimate concern of the Hebrew. Right thinking, that of the Greek. Duty and strictness of conscience are the paramount things in the life of the Hebrew. For the Greek, the spontaneous and luminous play of the intelligence. The Hebrew thus extols the moral virtues as the substance and meaning of life. The Greek subordinates them to the intellectual virtues. The contrast is between practice and theory, between the moral man and the theoretical or intellectual man. A quote from William Barrett. You see, those are two worlds that are colliding. And and Saul, at this point, cannot. he just comes into conflict with the Hellenistic world to the point that they want to kill him. So this is number two group that want to kill him. So when you come to the end of this paragraph and Saul is sent home, there's peace. It's a time of peace. And it's not just a time of peace, for the, for, for the church in Jerusalem, a rest from the persecution. We come to the end of this wave of persecution. It's also rest for Saul. He's already had, like, he's been on the hit list twice. So he needs, he needs to go home. And he goes home. And I, just think about what that homecoming would have been like. Because he's really going back to the roots of his Judaism and his family. I, I don't really know, but he went home. To get out of the tensions and the conflicts for a time. So it's a time of peace. It's a time of strengthening. After the wave of persecution. There's, there's this. We, we kind of stopped. In the momentum. Of the, of the increase of the church. In the persecution. But in that the church now starts moving forward again. And it's largely because. They're experiencing greater reverence. And respect for the Lord. If you think for a moment. Just think. Wow. We just saw Jesus show up in Saul's life. So the chief protagonist against the church was just changed. That would cause us to have deeper respect for the power of Jesus to stop those that are destructive. You'd also have a deepening of respect because now there's this, again, this freedom... To announce the kingdom in Jerusalem that was gone for a time. Also there is this greater consolation of the Holy Spirit. You know whenever you have to face fears and persecution. And the only thing you have is would the Holy Spirit comfort us. In the midst of our trial would the Holy Spirit comfort us. So you have a church. You have people that are now comforted by the Holy Spirit. They've come through a wave of persecution. And the church has survived. So this greater Consolation, this greater respect is now this movement, this moving forward. So you enter into a time of increase. So the time of increase that you read about in Acts six, you don't read about it in seven, eight, until here in in nine. So it's come back. So now the church is moving forward. Now as I review, I just go through that history, I think, wow, wow, what a history we have. So how how does that relate to us? Now what can we build our lives on from our history. So I've got three suggestions for us. One, as I as I hinted at the beginning, who's taken interest in you? I'd really encourage all of go down memory lane. And just make a list of the people who have taken an interest in you. And then just just what, what, what kind of difference did that make for who you are today and then I want to encourage all of us contact at least one person off of our list this week and just tell them you've made a huge difference in my life I just want to say thank you thanks for the interest that you took in me and so we get, so that we don't become just like inward focused it's the next step Who are we interested in? Write out out a current list. Who are the people in your life right now that you are interested in? It would include your kids, include your grandkids, but it would go beyond that. Then I'm really curious... If any of us would be like interested in a Saul. You now how far could our interests go? I mean, people that may be considered anti-Christian. Are we interested in them? And where would that, what difference would that make? And, that, and as you make that list, who you're interested in, would just try to add one more person this week. All of us could add a person that we're interested in this week. And then the last thing, I think that this paragraph really encourages us to be a community praying and actively working toward increase. Now, I want, I want to qualify that with what we just read. See, we're not, we're not reading the story of a church that wants to grow bigger. We're not reading about a story about a church that has 120 chairs And they want it to be 240 chairs. We're not talking about people in chairs. What we're talking about, we're talking about people following Jesus propelled forward because of this increase in respect for who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in our lives and what Jesus is doing in this world. And we're people propelled forward because as we live life, we really do face some struggles. But we keep being comforted and encouraged by one another and by the Holy Spirit. And we want others to enjoy what we enjoy. We're actually enjoying the kingdom of God. Not in its fullness, but what Jesus has inaugurated by Jesus saying, I am the Lord. I am the king, and when you allow me to influence your life with my power, my authority, and with the dignity that I show you, when you allow me to influence your life, you then get to influence others. See, I'm, I, I, want, I want everybody that I know to enjoy the benefits of, of knowing Jesus, And I want everybody, what we experience together, whether it's on a Sunday morning or whether it's in a small group or whether on a mission assignment in Chile or Bethlehem, what we're experiencing of Jesus being in charge, Jesus ruling and reigning over, I want everybody to experience that. That doesn't mean that we get more people in a room it means that there's greater influence on the city we live in, the country we live in, and the nations of the world. I want there to be an, an increase, a recognition of who Jesus is and what Jesus longs to do in all of our lives, which is to make our lives better and to improve life on planet Earth because he's overcome does that make sense? And we get to be part of that. So when I'm saying let's be a community that prays and actively works towards increase, it's really the increase of the influence of the kingdom of God on us and others. It's not a numbers game. Numbers take care of themselves. That's what's happening in Acts. This is a community of people that saying, wow, life is just better when Jesus is in charge. And that's the kind of community we want to be. So if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me? Let's start with Thanksgiving. Just take a moment. I know I've asked you to kind of make this list later, but just mentally, you've already done it, so it shouldn't be hard. Just just kind of, kind of go back to that mental list that you just made a moment ago of everybody that has taken an interest in you. And just pick out one of those people and just take a moment. Just be thankful for them. Just just say a a quick prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you for replacing this person in my life. Thank you for the difference they made in my life. Let's just start with thanksgiving. Jesus, we're we're a community of people that are grateful. We are so thankful. Thank you that you have allowed through the years people to be interested in us. And so we thank you for that person or that whatever that person is, whoever that is, we thank you for them and we thank you for the difference that they've made in our life. And then, oh Lord, I pray that once we we have received that, to, to be able now to have interest in others, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the people that we're interested in. And I ask that you would add one more person to our lives this week. That each of us would be interested in that other person. That we would make a difference in that person's life. Just like Barnabas made in Saul's life. And then, oh Lord, the last thing I pray. I pray that this community would be a community like this first century community. that experiences the influence of your kingdom come and coming or let your kingdom come influence us with the power and dignity of your rule and let us Lord do what you want to do through us on the earth as it is in heaven Lord we lay aside our plans and we simply say as a community, because we're under the influence of your kingdom, let us do what you want to do through us in this generation. Lord, I ask that there would be an increase in our reverence and our respect of you. I pray, Lord, that there'd be an increase of the consolation, the comfort of the Holy Spirit as we move together through life and face many of the challenges that life brings. And Lord, I ask that there would be an increase of our ability to influence others around us in our cities for your kingdom. It is your kingdom. It is your power. It's your glory, Lord. We ask that we would be part of an increase of your kingdom come. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you. In your name, amen. As we uh, say goodbye, if you saved your prayer request and you want anybody to pray for you before you leave, we kind of do that over here in this part of the room. You just have to wander there and others will be glad to pray with you. If not, just kind of mix, mingle, drink all the coffee, eat all the snacks, and we'll see you later.